What does it mean for something to be super? What does it mean for something to be super? It's reported that the Mattel Toy Company did a global survey, and in this global survey, they discovered that girls like princesses and superheroes equal. So Mattel decided to make a princess superhero. And so this week, they unveiled Barbie, Princess, Power, Super, Sparkle, Doll. It's Barbie. It's a princess. It's super, and it sparkles. What else could you possibly want? This particular Barbie doll comes with her own website, and on the website, there is an encouragement, a challenge to join Barbie's Super Squad and to be super because... You don't have to be a superhero to be super because you are already super. At least that's how the line went. Just an interesting thought, right? Be super because you're already super. Well, here's what super means in dictionary language. It means excellent, extraordinary, magical, or the highest power. Excellent, extraordinary, magical, or the highest power. And so the idea that's, that's coming through our culture now is this. You are already excellent. You are already amazing. You are already extraordinary. You are already magical. You are already the highest power. You are smart enough and good enough and doggone it, people like you. That's a noble idea. I would dare say that that idea would actually help you accomplish more in life, too. The problem is... is it's just not really true. I mean, really, if you were to spend just a few hours with me, you would discover quickly, I am not extraordinary or magical in any way, shape, or form. Unless, by magical, you mean the number of many dark chocolate peanut butter cups I can eat in one sitting. Now that, I can kind of magically produce something there. Yes, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. But we are not, by our nature, extraordinary and magical, and we are not the highest power. We might have a moment where we do something super. We might do something amazing in a moment. We might have some kind of magical, miraculous moment, some event of our life, something that we perform. But the truth is we are not super completely. And we will not go down in history as the best superhero that ever lived. And you know what? Neither will Superman, or Batman, or Spider-Man, or Aquaman, or Howard the Duck, or Barbie, Princess Power Super Sparkle. Did I get her name right? Princess Power Super Sparkle, yeah. Why? Well, because those are characters. They are people that have been created to be super. They've been drawn and written to be super. They have computer graphics and, and animation that, that makes them super in TV shows and in movies. So at best, they are super for a couple of hours at the theater or maybe until the publisher decides that the comic book's not selling enough money. But they are not forever super, and they are not the highest power. You see, if I'm having a major medical emergency... I do not want someone who played a doctor on TV. I do not want someone who spent the night at a Holiday Inn Express either the night before. No, I want a real doctor. Why? 
Because in that moment, I have a real emergency. See, the reality is life is tough, and life is hard, and marriage is difficult, and children rebel, and parents are difficult, and sickness invades our bodies, and there is evil in this world, and it is appointed for all of us to one day die. And so for the hardest moments of life, for the deepest needs of our daily lives, We need something more than a comic book hero. We need something more than someone who's just trying to be super. We need someone who is actually super. And not just someone who's super for a moment, but someone who's super forever. Who in the world can live up to that billing? Well, let's find out. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 9. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. Who is him? Him is Jesus of Nazareth. Him is the baby Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. Him is the man Jesus who lived in the Middle East around 30 A.D. and, and walked and talked and taught people. God highly exalted Jesus. The, the language here, the original language, it has the meaning of super exalted So God super exalted Jesus. Why? Why did God super exalt Jesus? Well, Paul tells us one sentence before that, back up in verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God super exalted Jesus Christ because Jesus was crucified on a cross. But weren't there two other guys that were crucified with Jesus? I mean, the very same day? Yeah. Why didn't they get super exalted? For that matter, history tells us that maybe between 10,000 and 200,000 people were crucified in and around the time of Jesus. Just to give you an idea of that, within the city limits of Columbia, there's about 130,000 people. So somewhere between 10,000 and 200,000 people were crucified in and around the time of Christ. Why weren't they super exalted? Well, their crucifixions, their their deaths, they were brutal, terror-filled deaths. But they were deaths alone. You see, Jesus and his crucifixion was not just a brutal death. There was more to it than just death. Jeff Thomas writes, No man has ever been able to do what Christ did. No man possibly could. Salvation by works is absolutely impossible. No one ever succeeded in loving God with all his heart or loving his neighbor as himself. No one has begun to attain to that. From ourselves right back to Adam is one great chain, and on every link the word failure is deeply engraved. Hoo-hoo, boy, I'm glad I came to church. Dow told me I was a failure. That's why I came on Sunday. There's more. Thomas goes on. Then Jesus comes, and he by himself accomplishes everything that God requires of a man. So that when God himself scrutinizes his life, he says, I am well pleased with it. Success, not failure. You see, we wouldn't expect Ralph Lauren or or Vera Wang to go to a, a major fashion show wearing clothes from a thrift store. But Jesus Christ 
for 33 years and technically nine months, put aside his perfect divine clothes to put on the second-hand clothes of humanity. The king of kings had to have his diaper changed. The king of kings built tables as a carpenter. The king of kings purposely, voluntarily made his way to be executed in the most cruel and brutal and despicable way that a person can be killed. And Paul, writing to people just like me and you, he says, that's why God super exalted him. He super exalted him because of what he did on the cross. Now, don't be confused. Jesus was already super. Jesus was super. He was the king of kings long before Bethlehem even happened. But there is this special moment, this special timing for all eternity that God has super exalted Jesus. And why did he do that? Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Recently, a few of our young people here in the church got their report cards, and undoubtedly they did well. And the reason I know that they did well is because their mom swung by and got a box of sweet dough from the Double K Ranch for them. And the reason I know that all this happened is because undoubtedly the church staff, we did really good on our report cards because mom dropped by here and let us have some of that sweet dough too. Donuts, if you don't know what I'm getting at there. So I'm feeling pretty good that we got donuts on the same day, so I'm thinking we did all right. Now, what was that mom doing? She was letting her kids know in a very simple way, hey, great job. Well done. Well done. Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, put on the clothes of humanity, humbled himself, gave his life for my sin and for your sin, paid the penalty that we rightly owe. I mean, imagine yourself in a few weeks trying to rustle up whatever money you might owe to the IRS. It's stressful. Can you imagine standing before God and not having the money ever? Jesus Christ paid the penalty of our sin. And because he did that, God super exalted him. He exalted him above anything that we can imagine. But you know what he didn't do it with? He didn't do it with donuts. I said, we like donuts. Well, I like donuts, you know. Donuts is a good reward for me. But God did more than just exalt Jesus and super exalt him with donuts. He actually exalted Jesus in the most amazing and most magnificent way that anybody has ever been exalted. And how is that? Paul continues in verse 9. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Go ahead, just go through your contacts in your phone. Go through your history book. Go through the Bible. Every single name of every person ever, Jesus' name has been put above all of those names. The way that God super exalted Jesus is by giving him dignity and honor that is above anybody else's dignity and honor ever. In no time can that be changed. If I'm the only person sitting in Bojangles one morning having a biscuit, there's nobody else in there, I mean, just the workers, just, just me sitting in there, then technically by default, I'm kind of the most important customer in the room, so to speak. 
But you know, if the president comes walking in, or the governor comes walking in, or one of the Smothers Brothers comes walking in, or, or you know, a contestant for The Voice, or, or American Idol, if any of those people come in, then, then automatically I am no longer the most important person in the room, right? And really because I know me and know things about me, like, you know, my math scores from college, I know that pretty much anybody can come into Bojangles, and I would immediately not be the most important person in the room. That never happens with Jesus. There's never a moment that Jesus Christ is not the most important person in the room. That can never change. No one can change that, and nothing can change that. It's an eternal truth. This is what God said to the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus was even born. God said, there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. God declared in completely clear terms that there is no other God but him. There is no other righteous Savior. But anybody can declare something like that, right? I mean, I could tell you, hey, I'm a righteous Savior. Hey, I'm a professional golfer. Hey, I'm Batman. I could say that, right? But it's not true. So why is God's declaration any different than anything that anybody else would say? Well, because 700 years after God said that to Isaiah, God actually carried out his declaration. He acted upon it. Because 700 years later, God invaded the earth and displayed his glory, displayed himself through the manger, through the cross, through the tomb, and through the risen life of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we forget the majesty and the power and the authority of who Jesus is. This is what Jesus says. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, Jesus is saying, because I am the truth and the life, I'm the way. I'm the way because I'm the truth and the life. In other words, there is no truth, there is no life that is higher than the truth and the life of Jesus. Look in any category of life, any subject in school, any corner of the world, there is no truth and no life that is higher than Jesus. I had a counseling professor one time in seminary, and he made some joke about if you ever see a quote that's really good, he goes, like, say Confucius. He says, if Confucius says something really cool, Jesus said it first, or God said it first. It was in different words and maybe said a different way, but, but all the truth and all the life that matters, the ultimate truth, it all comes from God. And why is it that there's no higher truth than Jesus? Because God super exalted him. He super exalted Jesus. Big deal. Why does that matter? Look at verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow at the name that God bestowed on Jesus. So is that name Jesus? Is there something magical about the word Jesus that causes everybody to bow down? No, not at all. For instance, there may be someone right here in this community whose legal birth name is Jesus. 
And if you're sitting in the doctor's office with a bunch of other people, and the nurse comes to the door, and the next name on the list is his, and she calls out Jesus, guess what? Nobody in the room is going to get up and bow down to that guy. It's not the name Jesus itself. And so what is the name? Well, before we get to the name, let's first look at who's going to be bowing. Look what Paul writes in verse 10. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Pretty comprehensive. Paul, Paul leaves absolutely no one out. He says those who are in heaven, the angels and the redeemed saints, will one day bow before Jesus. He says those on earth, men and women and boys and girls, ones who are saved and ones who are not saved, ones who are Christians and ones who are not Christians, everybody on earth, they will bow down before Jesus Christ. But then he says this, under the earth too. So Satan and all of his demons and those who have already rejected Jesus Christ, they will bow down before Jesus Christ one day. Every being, everywhere will one day bow before Jesus. It's a promised event. It's not something that might happen. And do you know why we know? Every single prediction about Jesus Christ has always come true. So there's absolutely no reason to think that this one wouldn't as well. What God declares about Jesus has always come true, and it will come true again. Even people who hate Jesus will not be able to resist bowing down to him. And what happens after all bow? Look at verse 11. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the name. There's the name that's above all the other names. There's the name that will drive everybody of all time to bow down before Jesus. It's not the common name Jesus. It's his full name, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is the name that God bestows on Jesus. Again, God said this to Isaiah. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now, notice the difference. It doesn't say that everybody is going to accept him as Lord, but they will have to accept that he is Lord. No one will be able to do anything different. There is coming a moment in time where every knee will bow before Jesus Christ and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's absolutely no way away from it. There's no way around it. He is Lord of the universe. He is Lord of all creation. He is Lord of all human beings. Jesus Christ is Lord. He has complete and total authority on every single thing in the universe. There is nothing beyond his power. There is nothing beyond his control. Really what we see here in this scene is a picture of worship. This bowing down before Jesus. This confessing Jesus as Lord. It's, it's the imagery of worship. If you're a Christian, then bowing down and confessing Jesus as Lord is, is not something that should be new to you. It, it should be natural to your life. In other words, worship should be natural to your life. So, the question for us to ask is, is, is it natural? Is a desire to worship Jesus Christ a natural desire in your life? 
A desire to praise Him, to exalt Him, to humble yourself before Him, to submit to Him, and to do this all week long, not just for a couple hours on Sunday, is the desire of your heart to worship Jesus. If not, if that's not a normal desire of your life, then you may not know Jesus. There's an interesting concept that we have in modern Christianity. It goes something like this. Well, I've asked Jesus to be my Savior, but I don't really know if I've made him Lord yet. Someone once said that the Bible doesn't say anything about making Jesus Lord. You know why? Because he is. <laughs> you can't make him Lord when he already is. So there's a big difference between making and receiving and acknowledging. Our youth years ago went to camp, and when they came back, they were telling me things that they learned from camp that week. And one of our young people said that the one thing that stuck out to them was something that the speaker, Vodi Bauckham, said. And this is what Vodi said. We are defining salvation as going to the magic place in the room and saying the magic words in the right order. She said, that, that just captivated me. She said, because it didn't sound right, but it does sound like what, what we do. And see, that's the, the idea behind this notion of, well, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I haven't really accepted him as Lord. It's, it's a half-truth. You know, and the old phrase is, what, a half-truth is, is a whole lie, right? And so it's not either or. You, you can't pick and choose. This isn't cafeteria-style religion. It is Jesus, and it is Lord. Someone who has this notion, what they're saying is, look, I, I said the magic words so that I would feel better about myself, so that I would feel like I'm going to heaven instead of going to hell. But what I really mean is Jesus has had absolutely no impact on my life. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but it does nothing in my marriage. It has not affected the way I talk to my spouse or the way I treat my children or how I act at my job. But I've accepted Jesus as Savior, but there's no semblance of him in my life. You can't really see Jesus. So that's the opposite of of what it means to accept Jesus. This is how Jesus talked about a profession of faith in Luke 9. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, the, the call to follow Jesus Christ is not a call to Holland Avenue Baptist Church. It's not a call to be a, a good wife or a good husband or to provide for your family. It's not a call to, to do good in school and get a good job that has great benefits. Those things are all great, but that's not what it means to be a Christian. The primary emphasis of what it means to follow after Christ is that he gets your life, all of it, everything. It is a complete allegiance to follow after Jesus. In fact, if we look at everything that Jesus said in the Gospels, there's a pretty clear message that comes through from his mouth, and it's this. If you do not receive me as Lord, you do not receive me. The Lordship is not separate. It's, it's part of. What does that have to do with your life? All right, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a good religious sentence. Why does it matter this afternoon in my life? Why does it matter tomorrow? Why does it matter in my family? Now, here's a few questions for us to consider. These are from D. Mark Lloyd-Jones. What is Jesus Christ to us? Where does he come into our scheme of things? What do we believe concerning him? Have we bowed the knee to him? Have we surrendered to him? Do we make this confession concerning him? 
Do we say that Jesus of Nazareth, that man who walked about the face of this earth, is Lord, the anointed of God, the one who is set apart to bear the sins of man, including our own? Do we say that it is there alone in that death that we find salvation and all that it means and by which we are reconciled to God? Do we confess that he is God and that we worship him to the glory of God the Father? And then I will insert, because it's almost like what he's saying is, if so, then that is the confession. The answer yes to those questions, that is what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. So is that your confession? Is that your confession? If so, then it does something to life. If the confession that of your life is that Jesus is Lord, it does something to life. Because that confession means that when you're in the middle of arguing with your spouse, when you're in the middle of arguing with your children or, or arguing with your parents or arguing with your friends, when you're in the, the middle of conflict, that confession means that you remember, wait a minute, I'm not the most important person in the room right now. You see, that confession, what it means is, is that we have the pain of sickness. We have the pain of disease. We may experience the pain of financial difficulties, the, the pain of trials and tribulations. But that confession means that that pain is not the most important thing in our lives. See, that confession means that we will hear about evil and darkness in the world. And we'll hear about it every single day. But when we hear about that evil and that darkness, our hearts are reminded that that evil is not the greatest thing and the most important thing in the world. You see, that confession means that on any given moment, our attitude and our perspective can change. Why? Because we have confessed. And we are constantly confessing over and over again that there is something greater and there is something stronger and there is something brighter and there is something higher and there is something more super than anything else in the universe at any time, anywhere. Jesus Christ is Lord. God has super exalted him. You see, when we begin to think about our best hope for our spouse, our best hope for our children, our best hope for our grandchildren, our, our best hope for our friends, our best hope for this community, our best hope for this world. That confession means that our best hope is not better grades. It's not better health. It's not better manners. It's not better money. It's not better government. It's not better superheroes. See, that confession shows us, again, that our best hope for us and our best hope for our family and our best hope for anybody else on this planet is wrapped up in that simple confession. confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the confession that has changed the history of the world. There is no one who has impacted this planet more than Jesus. And that confession can change your life completely, totally, and forever. Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say this, I do not accept the Christian philosophy primarily. I accept Him. I believe on Him. I bow my knee to Him, the person. I make a statement about the individual. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is my 
Is Jesus Christ your Lord? If not, then God's book says that if you do not repent and turn to him as Savior and Lord, there is coming a day where you will bow down to Jesus. And you will bow down in shame, but you will never get up from that shame. And that shame and that horror and that terror of being separated from him will last forever and ever and ever. But if your confession is that Jesus is Lord, in other words, if that confession is the confession we know most about you, more than your family, more than your job, more than your favorite sports team, more than your favorite hobby, if the confession that's known most about you is that Jesus is Lord, then know this. Joy, love, boundless love that the choir sang about, and life, everlasting life, it is yours forever. Why? Because at the end of the day, if, if Jesus is Lord, then friends, I cannot say it more clearly than this. You will have all the super you will ever need. It's all in Jesus. Let's pray.